Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. and welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Jen, your host for today, and I'm here with a an extremely talented illustrator and maker of comics uh, who is here with their debut sort of long-form work, uh, and I'm so excited to talk about it, so let's hop right in. Could I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Yeah, so uh, my name is Nicole Gu. I've been making comics for, I don't know, probably eight, 10 years, something like that. And um, I do all kinds of things. I've done um, work, I've done work for DC, for Simon & Schuster, and I usually often work in the adult spaces and often I work with writers. So this book, Pet Peeves, is kind of the longest thing that I've uh, written and drawn on my own. And it is um, a little tricky to describe because there's... <laughs> There's some possible twisty things in it, um, but essentially it is about a bartender who just got out of college and is kind of trying to make her way as a musician, and she's feeling really lost, and on her way home from work one night, picks up a stray dog, and things ensue. <laughs> That's a great setup because it's very intriguing, and it doesn't give too much away about where it goes because you're right. There are some really fantastic twists and turns. Um, yeah, this book like blew me away. And as I said, before we started to record, I read it twice over the weekend because um, I mean, I usually like to read things twice for interviews, like once for enjoyment and like the holistic view and once for questions. Um, but like I would have done that even if I <laughs> didn't have to. <laughs> and uh, <The> compliment. <laughs> you're very welcome. And uh, yeah, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, what it was like doing something longer than you know, you, you normally work, I guess the, the length you normally work in and if that presented any new challenges that sort of like, uh, you know, prompted you to develop any new strategies maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure necessarily about new strategies, but maybe in talking about it, I'll get there. <laughs> um, but it, it definitely was a different process for me because usually most of the um, comics that I've written have been, you know, top 12 pages and this book was actually supposed to be 20 pages. Um, but I realized that in the type of storytelling that I wanted to explore, which is very character-based, um, and I needed the time to give these characters a bit of environment and atmosphere to show you who they were. And it kind of just kept getting longer and longer. And um, I think my script ended up being something like 80 pages or something. Um, but in the process of drawing it, even then I went back and found places where, oh, I really need more of this, or I really need a scene with this person to kind of give you an idea of their place in the story. And I don't normally work that way. Um, I'm a very, I like to have a roadmap and I like to know where I'm going and who's saying what, because I'm very focused on acting. Um, so it was new for me to go up, go back and change things and add things um, and make my story longer and longer because comics take a really long time. And the idea of adding stuff 
to your process and making it take longer, um, it can be a little daunting and you have to really be committed to, I want this story to be the best that it can be to go, hey, I really think I should add another scene here or it really needs this. And uh, that can be, luckily for this project, I had no deadline. This was completely personal and I could just play with it as much as I wanted for as long as I wanted. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm glad that you had the time to sort of explore, <laughs> you know, the new challenges <laughs> associated with something long. And that's really cool to learn that it did sort of lengthen, you know, as it was written, because it has a really nice slow burn quality, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, that always like draws me right in. I love a good slow burn. And uh, I'm wondering, like in crafting a slow burn, um, you know, you're playing with a really interesting tension between like, you know, dripping little details that are going to keep the reader engaged and involved, but also not revealing too much so that there is like this continuing element of mystery that also kind of like, you know, refuses to give the reader the closure that they want. So how do you balance these sort of like opposing forces, like when you're drafting the story? Yeah, I mean, it definitely was one of the challenges of writing this book, because I wanted the end to be what it is, which um, hopefully is uh, unexpected. And so in the initial passes of the script didn't have as much kind of like seeded hints about what's happening. And I think even now it, it is fairly limited. You're not going, oh, I know where this is going, hopefully. <laughs> um, but I, that was one of the things that I went back and added is, oh, I, I think we really need to have more of the, um, like an ominous tone that something is not right here. Um, and these little hints that maybe things are not what we think they are <laughs> and kind of finding the places to add that into my story or to hint about it. Um, I think was actually really fun, but also kind of challenging because it's that balance, right? Of how much do I do? How much do I not do? And I'm not sure exactly if I struck the perfect balance, but I have heard that surprise is there. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Yeah, it's really well done. And, uh, you know, something that as you were talking that occurred to me is that like, it's really nice, actually, I think, or fitting to tell that kind of story about like, this phase of life, you know, that sort of like early 20s, mid 20s, like agony of like being in this transition, like phase in your life, when you're not really sure what you're going to do. Um, yeah, it really captures that like, angst and that listlessness that sort of like, like a slow burn actually really encapsulates well, because I think a lot of your life can feel like a slow burn <laughs> at that like phase. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, I, I was an art kid, um, but I was also a school kid. Like I was really good at classes and academia. And, you know, I was not maybe your perfect student all the time, but I was definitely a gold star kid who had a past, knew what I wanted had all the structure of school, was good at my classes, got A's. And so when you take that away, kind of really suddenly after college, and particularly with people who are in the arts, there is no path anymore. And especially for this generation or my generation, um, things have gotten harder and harder to find a path or to be able to support yourself um, with temporary things, working at a bar, working at a coffee shop, these kinds of things. It's not you can't even really live anymore doing that stuff while you explore which direction you should be going. And um, I think, 
I don't know that I would necessarily say it's exactly universal because I don't know if you're a lawyer, maybe you know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> but um, I think a lot of people experience that kind of floundering once you've left the kind of um, swaddling of school and academia and a, a determined path and adults telling you this is what you should do next. Absolutely. Yeah. There's like a determined path in school. Um, this like structure that sort of like provides you validation regularly, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. yes. and, um, <laughs> and there are systems in which like meaning is made for you, you know, and like you are then dumped into the real world where all of a sudden, like all that meaning is kind of removed and you have to like start to like make your own meanings. And that's really, mm -hmm. really hard. <laughs> it's incredibly hard. And, it, you know, it's something that I still struggle with. And one of the reasons, so when I went into school, I went to be a drawing and painting major. And then I switched to illustration. And then when I got out of school, I switched to comics because I like having a path. And when you have 200 pages, or in this case, 94 pages of a book to draw, you know what you're doing every day. And so there's this kind of like in-between level of structure um, that I think, you know, some people are great and they can you know, go be an artist and make new music every day or make, uh, create whole cloth, an idea for a gallery show or a new piece every week. And some of us need a little bit more direction that they need an article to work from. They need a, a script to be working on consistently or just have a little bit of guidance, even if it's self-determined guidance, you know, I wrote this book myself. Nobody wrote it for me. Nobody made me do it. But having, you know, at least a temporary path or a direction to be going, I think can be really helpful for people. And when you don't have that, it can often lead to this, well, I want to make the thing, uh, but ha I don't know what I want to make and I don't know how to do it. I just like doing it, you know, <laughs> and it can be really, um, especially when you're in your early 20s, uh, it just is can be a really difficult time for people. Absolutely. Yeah. And something else that kind of uh, I was thinking about too is the way that like the school kind of sells you this idea that like your success is going to hinge entirely like on your own efforts and your own willpower. And mm -hmm. the world that Bobby, our protagonist is operating in, in this story is like not that kind of world, you know, like for her, <laughs> there are like <laughs> some odd things going on that kind of keep her from making her music. But like for yeah. the rest of us, there are tons of forces in society that like keep us from, you know, doing the things that we want to do or making the art we want to make, like capitalism and having a job that yeah. like the life out of you and, you know, all those things that kind of stand between you and like the access to that willpower, if that makes sense, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think this story is kind of about two things. It's about that time and that struggle of losing the structure. And then it's also about how these things or opportunities or kind of obstacles can come into your life and either help you enhance your experience and push you along, or they can kind of hold you back or lead into your kind of doubts and your self-sabotage and, and um, draw you down the wrong path, even if they feel like the right path at the time. Yeah, there's like a really... Um a fine line that you kind of like tread with Bobby where she is, you know, she's allowed to be um, 
like sympathetic because she's like in this burnout, you know, she's like struggling with what she wants to do in her life. She's living with like her, her kind of ex, which like, you know, is like, I think a lot of us have been there, like in that phase of life. And it's really, really not fun. Um, and that's kind of sense that like your friends are outgrowing you a little bit and kind of leaving you behind. Um mm-hmm. And like all that's going on for her that makes you really empathize with her. But also like she can be like a kind of difficult person who, as you say, like (laughs) does self-sabotage and like doesn't always like relate to people (laughs) with like the most kindness or, you know. So, yeah, you talk about like in characterization and sort of walking that line. Yeah, I mean, she I'm glad you found her sympathetic. (laughs) I do. I do wonder a little bit because, you know, she is. She is difficult and she doesn't fight for herself in the ways that we often want to see protagonists do. You know, we want the big, you know, oh, I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to push through. I'm going to get this success. Most of the stories we read are about overcoming something. And um, that's not always the reality of life. And I think that you can be a deeply flawed person and still be sympathetic. Um, I think Bobby as a character is difficult and and I relate to her because of the struggling artist thing and um, because some of the things that come into her life um, they feel good but they drag her down right Um, and or allow her to kind of um, again lean into some of her more negative traits Um, and I, I think you know I don't know exactly how to answer the question because I just think of, you know, building characters who are flawed. Um, and in the other books that I've, I've worked on, usually when I, I work with other people, um, there is a writer and then I'm the artist, but there's a lot of collaboration up front about character and story and what we want things to be. And we read the scripts before anything gets drawn. And I've, we've had some scripts where there is a character who is deeply flawed, but they don't really have any seed of, I can relate to this, or the person is just, can I cuss on this? I don't know. Oh, yeah, just sure. a, not a nice person. <laughs> just kind of <laughs> shitty. And um, I think in order for the the reader to be in a story and to um, kind of empathize or relate to it, there has to be some seed of, I can see myself in this, or I can understand why that person's doing this. Because, and maybe I'm alone in this, um, but we went through a big spate of TV shows where every character was just horrible all the time. And I tried to watch some of them. And I know that, you know, if I really sat down and watched Mad Men, I'd probably like it. But, you know, from the first few episodes, I was just like, why would I want to watch this? Because there's not because I need a perfect character, but because there's nothing in this that I can relate to. And again, I know it's a great show. If I really sat down and watched it, I'm sure it's good. But like, I really like to make sure that there's something in there that your reader can, can like tease out and understand. Um, You know, like, uh, for example, the roommate, Clara, um, some of what I tried to add into her, because she can come off as, I think, very um, not understanding as well. But her reason comes from frustration of, you know, she's maybe a little bit further along and trying her best to grow up and trying her best to get her life together. And then there's this person who is not at that same place. And there's this frustration, there's this tension 
of I want, I'm finally ready to like level up my life or move on a little bit or become a little bit more adult. And there's this person who has been your best friend for a long time who's just not at that same place. And so there's this kind of friction and vibration there. And I think Clara can probably come off as being a dick, but it comes from a place of, look, I'm really trying to do this thing and you're just not, you're holding me back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, she's kind of in a lose-lose situation a little bit, like, because she either, you know, will seem like she's abandoning her friend or runs the risk of, like, not being able to reach her own goals, you know, because she's so concerned with it. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are many opportunities or I guess many circumstances in life where there there is no win, you know, and, and you just make the decisions that feel right for you at the time. And sometimes those decisions are right and sometimes they're not. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, gosh, it's really relatable, I think, for like for all the characters. And I, I like stories that sort of like don't really have like a traditional antagonist rather, but like where the antagonist is just like the inevitability of interpersonal conflict, you know? Capitalism. Uh, yes. oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we haven't talked very much about Barkley yet. And that's sort yeah. of intentional because I don't want to reveal too much about him, but if you could talk a little bit about like the, you know, the subtle supernatural, uh elements at work here and you know you do uh briefly mention that Barclay's name is a a Star Trek Next Generation reference which I am a huge huge fan of so <laughs> you could also talk about your own relationship to Star Trek I'd love that too <laughs> oh we'll be on here for the next two hours if you ask me about Star Trek <laughs> um you know his name is Barclay mostly because I thought it was funny um but I because I my feelings about Lieutenant Barkley have changed. Um, I initially hated him because he's horrible. But, you know, over the years, there is kind of a fondness for Lieutenant Barkley. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was really trying to come up with clever names for the do- for reference for anyone who's not read it. The yeah. dog that she adopts, is, she names Lieutenant Barkley. Um, and I had all these, you know very kitschy, very literal names that I was playing around with um, that were supposed to sort of hint at, at the mystery and the supernatural of, of the story. And and I kind of was just like, you know what, what would some, you know, 20 something name their dog, you know, and, and it's always like a food name, right, or something. Um, but the the pawn of Barkley uh, was just very satisfied. The, the combo of getting to put a Star Trek reference and having a pawn at the same time was very- satisfying to me it's super cool to me like how you know without needing to define like the supernatural elements they are like very expressionistic of bobby's internal state so maybe Mm -hmm. you talk about like you know externalizing like personal struggles as like horror or supernatural horror (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i mean a lot of the the supernatural that happens in this movie, in this movie, in this book, hopefully <laughs> someday. <laughs> uh, one day, we'll yeah. see. Uh, uh, is um, I think it, it is external because there are literal things happening, but it is also very internal because a lot of it is related through dreams. Mm-hmm. So it's it is her internal state, 
and it is what's happening and it's also happening inside her head because we're we are understanding it through dream or what is perceived as dream um and i i think being able to you know it, it's that idea of trying to figure out what your dreams are about right where it's it's this thing that is you but feels external but is this like it kind of what am I trying to say here <laughs> exploring what is actually happening or the kind of metaphor of what's happening through what is literally happening which is just happening in a dream that's so confusing I don't know <laughs> I totally get what you mean, though. Yeah, because like okay. dreams are sort of like our insides trying to tell us what's going on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, is it even a dream? You have to read the book and decide for yourself. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, and I think the dreams are also a way of um, warning her about what is happening and what could happen to her. And I think that we have a lot of internal systems that set off alarms in us that you can either listen to or you can ignore. And um, I know that at points in my life, I have definitely ignored big glaring warning signs because I wanted something that went against them, right? So you have this goal or you think you want this thing and the warning signs are saying, hey, maybe that's not good or safe. Don't do that. And you're like, but I really want it. And that was just a dream or that was just a, that was just a one-time thing, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, we have kind of these mechanisms, um, gut feelings or literal, you know, sometimes literal physical um, symptoms of, you know, you can feel that kind of warning or trauma in your body sometimes. Um that, you know, if, if we're healthy and well-developed and know what we're doing and not feeling lost, maybe, maybe we listen to them and go, hey, you know, or maybe if we're just a little bit older, we listen to them and go, maybe that's not the best idea. Um, but when you are struggling to figure out who you are, you kind of grasp onto anything that gives you a source of direction. And um, I think for Bobby, Barkley is that source of direction. And even though she may know deep down that something is wrong, she is so lacking in the structure or knowing what she wants that she goes towards that anyway. Yeah, the, the book does such a really lovely job of portraying like this really tumultuous life period and also looking at how it like interacts with like very real things in the world that we actually live in and some things that are a little bit hopefully <laughs> less real in our world. And uh, yeah, I, just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I enjoy this book so much. And, you know, thank you for bringing it to me and for having this conversation. <laughs> well, thank you so much for reading it. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. And I hope Anybody listening to this will also enjoy it. <laughs> yes. Listeners, now it's on you. I, I implore you to go check out Pet Peeves. It is an absolutely lovely and eerie book that will that will really stay with you for a long time. Thank you so much for joining us. It is now time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.